This is the EPP Group podcast on the launching of the Conference on the Future of Europe. My name is Jack Parrock and I'm going to guide you through what's been happening in the run-up to the launch of the two-year conference on May the 9th. We take it as a basis for discussion because everything that we are going to propose is not to impose Uh, because this is the moment of the citizens. It's only to create a basis where they can discuss and say, okay, here you uh, have a point, here you don't have. That was EPP Group MEP Paolo Rangel, who's leading the group's task force on the future of Europe. He and EPP Group leader in the European Parliament, Manfred Weber, will be joining the discussion on this podcast. First, though, a bit of background. The Conference on the Future of Europe was proposed by the European Parliament and the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen after the last EU elections in 2019. In a post-Brexit Europe, the idea is to connect European citizens back to the decision-making processes in Brussels and Strasbourg, to give people their say in how the EU should function. The plan is now in action and there's a digital portal being used where citizens can give all of their views online. The EU promises that every single one will be read. There's a plethora of issues to be discussed and we'll get into some of them a bit later with Paolo Rangel and Manfred Weber. But one of the big questions is, what could this conference result in? Could the treaties of the European Union, which set out all EU law and decide all of the political functioning of the bloc, be changed? During an EPP group event in April 2021, German Chancellor Angela Merkel said she would not rule it out. In the area of health, Europe needs more powers. That may require treaty change. I'm always open to treaty change. If they make sense, uh, they're not, treaty change is not a goal in itself. And there can be greater coordination among governments and in the event of a pandemic there may be a need for greater cooperation. Treaty change is always politically delicate, especially for European politicians, because once the treaties are up for negotiation, every part of them is on the table and the talks can become intense. In this podcast, we're going to look at three main aspects surrounding the conference. Number one, treaty change and the need for building the EU's resilience. Number two, the future of the health cooperation in Europe in the wake of the pandemic. And number three, how to ensure citizens engage with the conference. The discussion you're going to listen to was recorded as two individual interviews and is edited together to flow thematically. So to discuss this a little bit further, we have firstly Manfred Weber, who is the European People's Party leader in the European Parliament. And we also have Paolo Rangel, who leads the European People's Task Force on the Future of Europe. Let's start with you, Mr Rangel. What do you make, uh, what were your main takeaways of what the German Chancellor Angela Merkel had to say regarding things like potential treaty change in the European Union and making Europe more resilient? Well, I, I would say that uh, uh, she, was, she was quite uh, uh, sensible uh, in this respect of treaty change because uh, she didn't exclude it, uh, but she is totally aware, probably better than uh, uh, everyone, that some member states are very reluctant, uh, uh, even if they are not really opponents of any treaty change. Uh, And so uh, 
I think that the way she put the question is a quite, uh, if I may say, uh, may say so, smart one. Uh, uh, why? Because she says if we have aims, goals, policies that we define, that will imply a treaty change I have nothing against. But if that is not needed, then uh, we don't need it. Uh, and so this is, uh, 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 I think she's putting uh, the question or the issue in the right place. That is, first, we have to see what the citizens want. What do they want? And this will imply legislative reforms, constitutional or institutional reforms, or can we, for instance, use the instruments, the tools that we have already in Lisbon Treaty? Because there's a lot of potential in Lisbon Treaty that was not used before. Okay, so now let's hear from Manfred Weber. The starting point of the debate about the future of Europe is for sure not the question of treaty change, because it's a method, it's then the way how to achieve things. But I want to be ambitious. And if we are ambitious, then we cannot exclude a treaty change. That's obvious. And when you look on the latest uh, developments on the health issue, having COVID in mind, it's obvious on health, Europe has no responsibility currently. So if we want to strengthen Europe on health, and I think a lot of people want to do so, then we have to change treaty. And that's why let's not exclude it, but it should be the final uh, uh, assessment whether a treaty change is necessary, yes or no. So let's turn to this idea that the German Chancellor was pressing on the need for being more resilient to crises. It does feel, and the accusation that gets pointed towards Brussels is that it is reactionary. It had to react to the Ukraine crisis. It had to react to the migration crisis, to the Greek debt crisis, to the pandemic. Everything feels reactionary. How can the European Union, as part of this process of sort of uh, reflection on its future change to become more resilient? Well, uh, I, I have to say that uh, I'm not so pessimistic uh, 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 when uh, you describe this, I'd say, uh, uh, succession, uh, this series of reactions. That is the normal way uh, of uh, evolving, is when you have a crisis, you react, and then you learn a lesson for the future. And what is quite clear today is that uh, uh, the pandemic uh, also brought a huge social and economic crisis. But we are much more resilient on the financial side because we have learned the lesson of 2008, 2009 and of the sovereign debt crisis. Uh, 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 with the pandemic, we have learned the lesson that is very clear. I'm sure that we are going to invest much more in European production, especially of basic uh, goods uh, that are uh, fundamental for health, like uh, I'd say all the pharmaceutical industry will be very, very much reinforced after the pandemic, I'm sure. Uh, the same happens, uh, if I may uh, say so, with uh, the civil protection uh, as a whole. So uh, for crises like uh, fires, uh, floods, uh, earthquakes, and so on, uh, this is this is doing uh, this this kind of crisis is uh, are doing the uh, uh, European Union more re resilient. So I wouldn't say okay, you always react. No, I say when you have a new uh, 
uh, event or new uh, happening or a new crisis, of course that you have to learn lessons. And this is what we call reaction. But then we can uh, uh, prepare the future uh, on this. So I'm pretty sure, for instance, that Schengen uh, uh, area will be very different after the pandemic because we have to learn lessons uh, also from this. And probably, for instance, for me, one of the most important things should uh, would be to have a kind of uh, coordination uh, of the Schengen area uh, 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 in the hands of the Commission. Because if uh, each member state uh, still has a, a very, very relevant say in these matters, this is the chaos. Because the problem is not to have restrictions to the freedom of circulation. Of course, if there are exceptional circumstances, you have to have restrictions. The problem is to have chaotic restrictions. So, in the domain in, uh, of uh, health, in the area of Schengen and freedom of circulation, in the area of production of uh, goods, I'm sure that the European Union will be more robust after this crisis. Of course, there was a reaction. Uh, but the, the problem is if we have to have a second reaction with the same kind of problem. That would be less resilient union. If we learn the lesson and the next time we are already prepared, either to avoid or to uh, diminish uh, the degree of the crisis, that means that we are more resilient. Okay, so turning now to Manfred Weber. Also, before we had this uh, this crisis times over the last 16 years under Angela Merkel's chancellorship, you know, we had uh, we faced crisis. Uh, there was there was also element of crisis management uh, uh, over decade. That's normal in politics that you are arriving to a new challenge and then you have to give a proper answer. The key point is: Are we again capable to to? analyze to have an idea of what is ahead of us what are the next challenges ahead of us and to be better prepared and not only to react that is the key question which, which is in front of us and uh, and that is also this resilience answer to be prepared for the next uh, challenges ahead of us and and having today's world in mind covid learns uh, gives us a lesson on this uh, also the euro crisis and the economic impact is clear on this we are facing a lot of challenges where one single country cannot anymore answer this. That's the full truth, that's the story of today, and that is what he, what also populists have to answer. And I'm sure that on the long run, also Brexit will be a big lesson where we have finally, where we will finally see that it was wrong to leave the European Union. It will not create any kind of additional value for the Brits. Huh? And th this will be the outcome at the end. So I'm sure if we are if we are sticking to this, then we even this idea of resilience, then we can give an answer to populists all over Europe. So when it when it comes to this though, um, how can the the conference do this? How can we? I mean, the intention is to sort of find out what Europeans want, but what happens if this conference comes back to you and to to us in Brussels, and people say we don't want Europe? really we want it to be smaller we don't want the the ideas that are sort of often pushed from from brussels and from meps and from pro-europeans i hate the debate about a bigger or a smaller europe because that that what what, what is the message behind this it makes no no idea about the message behind i tell you my question is europe must deliver 
Europe must give a proper answer. Europe must really contribute to solving problems. That is what I want to see. And I am absolutely ready during the debate about future of Europe to even consider to give some tasks, some political areas back to member states or even to the regions of Europe if they can manage things in a better way than Europe is doing it. Uh, though I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in favor of, a, of, a, of an even bigger Europe in a way, I'm in favor of a Europe that delivers. But having the today's demands in mind, look to COVID. Huh? And people do not understand why the experts in Austria tell people one meter distance is enough. In Germany, they tell you 1.5 meter is okay. And in Luxembourg, they tell you two meters would be great as a social distance to keep the, the, the virus away from you. <laughs> and people all over Europe are, are, are asking themselves, is the virus in Luxembourg different than the virus in Germany? You, you know, I'm joking, but, but that is a real question. So it makes sense to have a European-wide definition about such uh, minimum criteria or, or behaving uh, of, of social behaving of, of, of citizens. And that's why I think it's obvious that European coordination would be great. My key question for the future is more the, the delivery aspect. And that means for me, technically speaking, the question of, 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 of the executive side of the European Union. Um, because look to, look to border protection. You see that in border protection, you have an European level with the Schengen regulation, the full right to regulate, to, to make a law, how a border of Europe must be controlled. But the executive side, so to implement what we discussed and decided on European level, is fully in the hand of the member states. And having the migration crisis on 2015 in mind, when Tsipras was not capable to defend our EU-Turkey border, I say in the future it would be great to have 10,000 Frontex officers to send to the border where we have a problem of implementing the rules that the EU authorities are capable to really deliver, are really implementing the rules. And a lot of people all over Europe would be happy if Europe would be capable to implement the established rule, the legislation on European level. One of the other things that is being strongly debated about the future of the European Union is about growing healthcare capacities for the EU. And certainly the pandemic has shown some weaknesses there where member states are entirely uh, responsible for their own healthcare systems. That's the current structure. How do you see a future health structure within the European Union that could be more functional and could support citizens and could deal with things like pandemics? Uh, I, I, this is a debate that is now open. And uh, if you look at the different uh, uh, members of EPP group and of EPP party, uh, the different national, uh, I'd say, visions and even some individual, uh, uh, they are quite different uh, at this time. So we are only starting the debate. But uh, uh, there's something for me that is quite clear. We had our health systems all across Europe and I would say all across the Western world very focused on these chronic diseases like diabetes, cancer and so on. And we were convinced, uh, that was probably uh, a dream, that uh, infections uh, were not anymore uh, the big problem. Because if you look at the uh, beginning of 20th century, 
and uh, well, if you go back, it will be more and more. Infections were the great problem, uh, uh, the real problem. But then with uh, uh, vaccines and uh, with a lot of prevention, a lot of hygiene and these kind of things, uh, uh, we managed to solve it. So if you have, again, infections as a big threat to health of people, you need much more integration in the health system because the infections don't know borders. And this is uh, the new, uh, 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 I say the new, Paradigm, you know, paradigm of 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 uh, health, and that's why health union is necessary, because if you have a common market, if you have a, a freedom uh, uh, of circulation area that is enormous, of course that uh, everything that is contagious is a threat and is a risk inside this big space. And so this becomes an European problem and not as it was a national problem. Uh, otherwise, I, either we have borders as uh, the sovereign states in the past had, and you can control in a certain way the situation, or if you don't have it because you work as a common space, then naturally you need to have a policy for health, at least at the infections level. And, and so that's the reason why I'm very, very supportive of an union for health, even if this implies treaty change. And I have to say uh, that this for EPP, and that is my insight, would be very important because sometimes EPP uh, is concerned with the social dimension, uh, saying that uh, uh, we have to, uh, the flag of social uh, issues is not uh, in the core of EPP what is what is wrong, because if you are democristians, as, uh, your roots are the democristian roots, we know that uh, the social economy, uh, market economy was designed, built and established by uh, democristians all across Europe. Uh, and so probably a very democristian way uh, 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 of building a social agenda is union for health. And then you can say to the socialists, you can say to the left, uh, no, we care with social, but we go to, uh, we have some targets that are very clear. And, and so I would say we need a union for health, especially in some areas of health that are the ones that are common. Because an infection is not a national issue, is an European-wide issue. How would you foresee a better structure and how could the conference work that out? Could there be an EU health minister? If we define health as a real important issue for the future in Europe, and I would do so, then we need also personalities uh, who care about this, uh, who deal with this. And that's a European health commissioner and health minister for Europe. Uh, I, would, I would be very careful when we when we have the practical management of the healthcare system in mind, huh? when it is about the, 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 the insurance, when it is about the management of hospitals, when it is about the, the elderly people care and all these points, then I think it's well, well, well managed on local and regional uh, 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 grounds so that they are caring about these points. But when it is about establishing common rules in fight against COVID, when it is about 
having enough resources for research against Alzheimer and, uh, and, and cancer, then let's do it on European level. So there is the innovation needed, there is the European efforts needed, and uh, there we should really establish a health union on European level. This conference is about to kick off. This is the beginning of a two-year process, which is, at the moment, I would argue, mainly based in Brussels as an idea. How, when this begins, how do you make sure that this conference, this idea of changing the EU, making it work for the citizens, what are the crucial, vital ways of including Europeans across the political spectrum, across the economic and social spectrum and the geographic spe divides in the EU? Well, I'm going to keep it simple, but of course this could be a very complex and complete uh, answer. Uh, of course, you have the digital platform where everybody can intervene and contribute, and so that's uh, clear. You have, and for me this is decisive, the assemblies of citizens uh, that should be physical and that uh, should represent uh, uh, the diversity of citizens all across Europe. Uh, 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 and this is a very important moment, in my opinion, but exactly to give this uh, sense of belonging, of uh, 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 involvement of the citizens. One idea that uh, I have already suggested, but I don't know if it will go uh, forward, is we should have, uh, during one month, every weekend, uh, all across Europe, in each library of each small town, village or city, a debate on this that should be reported to the platform. And if you do it, for instance, imagine in a thousand or two thousand libraries at the same time in one afternoon, uh, uh, this is a major event where people are going to participate at their local level. And then if uh, if we have someone from uh, that, that can uh, there be the rapporteur and then introduce this data in the this is a process of participation that would be really very, very significant. And especially if we would uh, create this dynamic of doing this at the same time everywhere. Uh, and uh, of course, you can have one weekend for uh, a thousand cities, another weekend for a thousand and five hundred, another weekend for four hundred. And, 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 and people, they know uh, that they are uh, in line and, and that's it. So uh, they are online uh, working. So uh, uh, on this project of uh, the Conference of Future of Europe, we take it as a basis for discussion because everything that we are going to propose is not to impose uh, because this is the moment of the citizens. It's only to create a basis where they can discuss and say, okay, here you uh, have a point, here you don't have. Uh, and, and, and so the document will be also open. Okay, so turning now to Manfred Weber. The debate about future of Europe must be dri not driven by fears, it must be driven by hope and by, by, by perspective for the future. It must take into consideration the big, the good balance between regional, national and European responsibility. You know, I'm Bavarian, I'm a German citizen, but I'm a convinced European, so I think there is not things which are in contradiction. And finally, 
the future of Europe debate must be also uh, uh, be driven by the global developments that we must give an answer about can we really compete with China and US? Can we really play a role in the global developments? That are the three points which are uh, in the center of the debate. Thank you so much to Manfred Weber and to Paolo Rangel for joining us on the EPP podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this EPP Group podcast on the future of Europe. You can find out more by visiting the website eppgroup.eu and make sure you're following the group on Facebook and Instagram on EPP Group. Goodbye.